Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 22 about the greatest need that anyone has are the needs of the heart, especially the hearts that are depressed, defiled, hardened, proud, sinful, fearful, ashamed, weak, or discouraged. Now, we have so much to be thankful for. Are you thankful for the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you thankful for thousands of years that the Jewish people preserve the scriptures for us today so that we could better understand who God is and have his written word to encourage us? Many of those faithful Jewish people in the Old Testament, as well as the Lord Jesus Christ himself, would want us to reach their lost relatives. They are God's chosen nation of people, but most of Israel today, the vast majority, is lost. And Tom Cantor and all of us here at Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries want to reach God's lost nation of brothers and sisters. Now, will you help us to do that? With a gift amount of $10 or more of support to reach lost Jewish people, we will send you Tom Cantor's life story and a wonderful track, and also, How Would You Learn the True Meaning of Christmas? That's also another track that you can give out at Christmas time or Hanukkah. Support this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism by calling us now at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher on friendship with God. So the Lord in this way, he sees the weak heart, the unbelieving heart, and he provides help, strength, so that they'll move on. That's how he provides for the unbelieving heart. Then there's the need of the faithless heart, the faithless hearts. You know, the apostles sensed that they just didn't have faith when they came to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they had a need of a faithless heart. And so in Luke 17, 5, it says, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. Increase it. Make it more. Now, the Lord Jesus provided for their need of their faithless heart by telling them, the problem is you're too focused on your own importance. You're too focused on your own importance. And he says in Luke 17, 10, Likewise, when you shall have done all these things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We've done that which was our duty to do. So he provided instruction in self-abasement for the need of the faithless heart. Then there's the need of the sorrowful heart, the heart that's full of sorrow. He watches over us and he sees when sorrow just comes like an overwhelming wave on us. As he said in John 16, 6, sorrow hath filled your heart, overflowed, filled your heart. But for the sorrowful heart, he says in Jeremiah 31, 25, I have replenished every sorrowful soul. See, the Lord provides a replenishment, different ways, of what was lost and the need for the sorrowful soul. But thou art, Lord, in Proverbs, Psalm 3, 3, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of my head. Precious statement. The lifter up of my head. See, the Lord provides his hand to lift up the head of the sorrowful heart. It says in Psalm 35, 30, verse 5, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. The Lord provides something joyful to meet the need of the sorrowful heart. And then the great passage in Revelation 7, 16 through 17, where it says, it speaks about the saints, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat, for the lamb which is in the midst of them shall feed them and shall lead them unto living water, fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So how does the Lord provide for the sorrowful heart? He provides his hand to feed the hungry. He provides his leading to lead to drink to the thirsty soul. He provides his hand to wipe away all the tears from the sorrowful heart. 
Then there's the need of the discouraged heart. Courage has been taken out of the heart, and there's no more courage. And so this, of course, we think of David at Ziklag when it says in 1 Samuel 35 through 6, David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam, Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly discouraged, it says, for all the people spake of stoning him. That would be pretty discouraging. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Anybody remember the next two words? David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Those are the most important words. The Lord, his God. That's a tremendous statement when it says that David was able to encourage himself in the Lord, his God. See, that means that David could encourage himself because the Lord had provided for the need of the discouraged heart by making himself David's God. David did not have to provide for the discouraged heart by making him, let's put it this way, God did not have to make himself David's God, but he did that, and that provided encouragement or met the need of the discouraged heart. See, the Lord, when he provides for the need of the discouraged heart by making himself our God, he said so many times this phrase where it shows that he made himself our God. It says in Genesis 17, 8, I will be their God. It says in Exodus 29.45, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. It says in Jeremiah 24.7, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. It says in Jeremiah 31.33, this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my law in their inward parts, and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Jeremiah 32, 38. And they shall be my people, I will be their God. Ezekiel eleven twenty. It says there, They may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Ezekiel thirty four twenty four. it says, And the Lord will be their God. And Ezekiel thirty seven twenty three. it says that, Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. God says it's going to stop. It's horrible that the U.S. government recently has given permission to the U.S. embassies around the world to fly the United States flag and a one more flag, the rainbow flag for homosexuality. And the cities that have chosen to do it, the first city that chose to do it, Tel Aviv, the embassy in Israel. And God says that neither shall they defile themselves anymore with their idols, their decessible swings, nor with their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people and I will be their God. In Ezekiel 37, 27, my tabernacle shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Zechariah 8, 8. I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. And then Paul said, what agreement, in 2 Corinthians 6.16, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So all of this, God saying, I will be their God, is for the encouragement. It's to meet the need of the discouraged heart by making himself our God and making us his people. And then it says in Psalm 48, 14, for this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. 
And when God said the discouraged, that he makes himself our God, this God is our God, that means that you and I can go outside, we can look at the magnificence of his creation in the skies and the birds and the oceans and the fish and the forests and the animals and be filled with awe and be filled with the wonder of his creation. And then we can lift up our hands to heaven and go, ah, because we're so taken back and say the words of Psalm 48, 14. This God is our God forever and ever. He'll be our guide even unto death. That means we can study the wonders of biology and genetics of the cell and lift up our hands and go, ah, This is so amazing. And we can say, this God is our God, and he'll be our guide even unto death. He's our God, be our God even unto death. And you remember the story? During the communist times in Russia, when there was the professor came to the class of the 12-year-old kids and took a Bible and said, now, I've read this Bible now, and I'm here to tell you that it's full of lies and myths and fairy tales, and it's not true. And then he's challenged the class, and he said, is there anybody in this class that still believes this book, the Bible? He's holding up the Bible. And a little 12-year-old girl stands up, and he comes up and says, come up here. He's gonna, and he rails on her and says, you know, you're stupid, you're a fool, and how can you believe this book is full of fairy tales? What do you have to say for yourself? And the little girl looks at him and says, that's what you get for reading someone else's mail. <laughs> this God is our God. <laughs> this book is a letter to us from our God. Now, there's also the need of the weak heart, the heart that is weak. And in Jeremiah 31, 25, he provides when he says, for I have satiated the weary soul. The Lord provides satisfaction and then for the need of the weak heart. Psalm 103, 11 through 14, as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. See, he says, as far as the east is from the west. See, he didn't say from the north to the south, because if you go north, you'll eventually come to south. But if you go east, you'll never come to west. (laughs) Anyway, as far as the east is from the west, he said, that's how far he moved our transgressions. Like as the father pitieth his children... So the Lord pitieth them that fear him, for he knoweth our refrain, he remembereth that we are dust. He remembers that. See, how does he provide for the weak heart? He provides by giving great mercy, in great mercy, he provides his great mercy for the weak heart. He provides for great removal of sins, for the need of the weakened heart that's been weakened by sin. He provides tender pity as a father for the need of the weak heart, and he provides his memory. He remembers how weak we are and for the need of the weak heart. But I have prayed for thee, he says in Luke twenty-two thirty-two. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, what did he say? Sorry? Strengthen thy brethren. See, he says, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. So the Lord provides other strengthening Christians for the need of the weak heart. In Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, he says, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared unto him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. So he provides angels to strengthen the weak heart. Now there's sometimes the depressed heart, and the depressed heart has the needs. The Bible uses the term being cast down to describe depression, as it says in Psalm 42, 5. Why art thou cast down? He could have said, why art thou depressed? 
O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for his help of his countenance. So the Lord provides us with the ability to praise him for the need of the depressed heart. In Psalm 42, 6, it goes on, O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan, of the Hermonites from the land, from the hill Mitzar. So the Lord provides us with memory when we put the word of God and the historical accounts into our minds. He provides us with memory so that we can pull ourselves out of depression by praising him for what he's done in the past. Then there's the fearful heart, the need of the fearful heart. Luke 12, 32, he speaks about the fearful heart. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In other words, the kingdom's not going to be wrenched out of the Father's hands. I don't want to give it. It's it's a good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Lord provides us with the joyful gift. It's his joy to give us the kingdom. For what? For the need of the fearful heart. But in Isaiah 43, 1 through 2, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by name, thou art mine, When thou passest through the water, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, that shall not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. So the Lord provides for the need of the fearful heart, redemption. He provides a call by name. He provides his claim of ownership. He provides his presence through the waters, through the fire, all for the need of the fearful heart. Then there's the heart that's just shaky. There's the heart that's unsure, that the heart that is no confidence. And so he says in Proverbs 3.26, For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. So for the need of the unsure heart, the Lord provides himself for his for protection and promise that he'll keep them. Then there's the proud heart. And there's the need of the proud heart. And what does the Lord do for the need of the proud heart? 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble thyself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So the Lord provides his mighty hand, his mighty humbling hand, for the need of the proud heart. Then there's the need of the defiled heart. He said, out of the heart of man proceed evil things. That's a defiled heart. That's a dirty heart. And so what is he, how does he provide for the need of the defiled heart? In Psalm 51.10, when David had a defiled heart, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. He provides a creation of a new heart, a cleansing, a renewal for the need of the defiled heart. In Isaiah 1.18, he says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So he provides for the defiled heart an invitation to a meeting place. The meeting place is the cross. He provides an invitation to meet at the cross and repent of the sins and have the defiled heart be cleansed. In Zechariah 13.1, for the need of the defiled heart. In that day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for two things, for sin and for uncleanness. See, the Lord provides his own blood as the cleansing fountain for the need of the defiled heart. And that fountain, which is open for the defiled heart, not only cleanses from the defilement of sin, but it provides for one more need, the offense of the sin or forgiveness. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God in just a moment. 
But Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher and CEO, author, scientist, and founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, wants to encourage you to witness to your lost Jewish friend. Tom Cantor is Jewish as well, and he wants lost Jewish people to be reached as well as our Jewish Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ wants his lost family members to be reached. Now, if you have a lost Jewish friend, Jewish doctor, Jewish business owner, or Jewish neighbor, Tom Cantor wants to not only send you a free gift with his life story on DVD and booklet to help reach your lost Jewish friend, but he can also uh, send that gift directly to them and personally pray for your lost Jewish friend that needs to be reached with the gospel. You can fill out our online free gift form for a lost Jewish person at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor, a Bible teacher on Friendship with God. Which brings us to the next heart, which is the need of the unforgiven heart. The need of the unforgiven heart. That's the verse we just read. And that's the whole point when it says there in Leviticus 17.11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar, to make an atonement for your souls. For it's the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. See, that verse is saying the same thing in Hebrews 9.22. Without shedding of blood, there's no remission. See, the need of the unforgiven heart is blood. The unforgiven heart needs blood. Blood from a sinless sacrifice. We're not sinless, so we don't qualify. Nobody is sinless, so no one qualifies. So God says, I have given it to you on the altar. And the Lord Jesus Christ was the son that was given, and his blood was given. It was provided, provided, provided. So that means that God provides his own blood to make an atonement for the need of the unforgiven heart. Then there's the need of the ashamed heart, the exposed heart. Not only does sin make a person defiled and unforgiven, but sin makes the heart exposed and ashamed. And the result is a need of the ashamed or exposed heart. And for that, God says in Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me. See, get that? He hath clothed me. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. So for the need of the ashamed and the exposed heart, God provides the garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness. That verse emphasizes there what God's done. He hath covered me. He hath clothed me. Those statements carry us back to what we study when God, what God did for Adam and Eve when it said in Genesis 3.21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and, last two words, clothe them. He made the coats of skins and then he clothed them in it. He put them on it. He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. That's what he did. And that's why Paul could say in Romans 13, 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. So what happens? For the need of the ashamed or exposed heart, he has provided the covering of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, righteousness. And when we read in Isaiah 61, 10, he hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, of course we ask the question, what righteousness is that? And Paul answers that in Philippians 3, 19, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. When I stand before the throne, clothed in beauty, not my own, when I see thee as thou art, 
Love thee with unsinning heart, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. Then there's the need of the sinful heart or the corrupt heart. The sinfulness and the corruption of man's heart is described in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? That means the heart of man wants to sin. He enjoys sinning. Man's heart is corrupt. Man's heart is shot. Man's heart is so corrupt and shot, it's not repairable. There's only one thing to do with man's corrupt heart. It has to be replaced. And God provides for that, as he said in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I'll take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. God provides for the need of the sinful stony heart by just replacing it. You know, it's like the mechanic with the car. He says, I'll take out the stony heart. I'll put a new one in. And he says in Ezekiel 36, 26, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I'll take the stony heart out of your flesh, that goes in the trash barrel, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. You know, last week I took my 1989 Mercedes to France. France, the Mercedes repair guy. So everybody should have a France to repair his Mercedes, see? <laughs> my car is only worth about, I don't know, a few thousand dollars, and every time the repair bill comes back, it's more than the car was worth. But, <laughs> but I like it, so, you know, Franz he fixes it. And so this time, he told me, you drove with the parking brake on. You ruined the parking brake. And I asked him, can't you just repair it? He said, no, it has to be replaced. He says, it's pulverized. And we come to God, and we ask if our sinful heart can be repaired, and God says, no, it has to be replaced. And so like Franz, he says, you know, I'll take the old one out, I'll put the new one in. And God says in Ezekiel 36, 26, a new heart also will I give you. So he provides a new heart. He provides us, and now he provides a new heart, it's parts and labor. <laughs> so he provides, and he installs it too. And he says, I'll put the new heart within you. All right, so that's how he provides for the sinful heart. Then there's the need of the seeking heart. There's the heart that's just looking for God. And that's a great need. And God says, for the need of the seeking heart, I will provide, he says in Jeremiah 29, 13, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. See, he provides himself to be found. You know, it's like, you know, hide and seek, where are you? God steps out from the bush, say right here. So that's how he provides for the need of the seeking heart. Then there's the need of the hard heart, the hard heart, the heart that's hard toward God because of pride. He provides for the need of the hard heart, as he did with Belshazzar, king of Persia, where it says in Daniel 5.20, but when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. So what does he do? Mighty hand of God, humbling. Then there's the need of the unresponsive heart, the heart that just doesn't think that it needs God. It's an unresponsive heart, and he's quite happy with his life. Thank you very much. He doesn't see himself as needing God. And God provides for the needs of this unresponsive heart when he says in Revelation 3.15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, nor hot. I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. See, that's a cold heart. That's the unresponsive heart. And no, it's not that thou art poor, rich, and blind, and, and naked, and so forth. I counsel thee, provision number one, to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, white raiment, thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Anoint thine eyes with thy soul, thou may see. As many as I love are rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If any man hear my voice, open the door, I'll come into him, sup with him, he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me at my throne as I also overcame and have sat down with my father in his throne. So for the need of the unresponsive heart, God provides, number one, counsel, come to him. He provides, number two, himself standing outside the door knocking. And then he provides a special incentive, a special reward. He says, if you overcome this, he says, I'll let you sit with me in my throne. Wow. Then there's the need of the hungry heart, the thirsty heart, the heart that has tried all the world has to offer and has surfaced up from after it all and says, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, it didn't satisfy the need of the hungry and thirsty heart, God provides in John 7, 37. And that day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For the, so for the need of the thirsty heart, he provides this welcome, this invitation to come to him. In John 6, 35, Jesus said unto him, I'm the bread of life. Outstanding teaching here from Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher on Friendship with God. And if you're enjoying Tom Cantor's teaching on friendship with God, as you're driving, listening at home, or downloading on the go, and listening to these messages, and you're growing in your knowledge of God and your walk with God, and enjoying this Old Testament Bible teaching radio program, many don't teach on the Old Testament, but Tom Cantor's ability to communicate the Old Testament in modern-day expressions and tie that in with the New Testament is just amazing. He's a master teacher and empowering us as Christians and encouraging us in our walk with God and helping us others to reach Jewish people about their God and Messiah. It's a tremendous radio Bible teaching program and Jewish evangelism outreach ministry. We want you to support Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries. Any amount, a one-time gift would be a blessing. We'd like to also send you Tom Cantor's life story on how he came to know the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll have that in a written form. We'll send that to you as well as how a Jew came to know the true meaning of Christmas. Both of those we'll send to you for a donation of $10 or more by calling 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. Or go online for more information to Friendship with God. .org or israelrestoration.org. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow at this same time.